1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, we're doing a little study of the life of Elijah, and we're coming to the next scene. We're going to pick up in verse number 8. Elijah has been at the, uh, uh, in the throne room, standing before Ahab, pronouncing judgment of the drought. And then, of course, he's immediately hidden by God. And we saw him at the brook and being fed by the ravens. And, of course, where we left him off, the brook is dried up. And, uh, but God hadn't forgot about him. God knows right where he's at. Aren't you glad God knows where you're at? Even when things dry up, God still knows where you are. And I thank God for that. Even in the dry times, He knows your address. Amen. And uh, He uh, hadn't forgot you. And I thank the Lord for that. And the word of the Lord, verse number 8, verse number 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in, the cruise, in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, and we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Man, sounds like God can be trusted right there. What do you think? Sounds like his word can be believed and acted upon, and God can take care of us. And I thank God there's so many good truths. I had to really pray about uh, maybe the direction the Lord would have me to go in this message tonight and kind of zero in on one thought. And I want to give you something that's here in this text, but it's actually a broader principle of the Word of God that you can find. You could actually preach this outline and look at many different texts with this same exact outline. It's a principle. It's a law. It's something that is true of God and the way that He operates. And I'm going to call the message tonight this, God's laws of supply and demand. God's laws of supply and demand. And if you'll just stay with me and listen, I want to explain to you some of God's laws of supply and and demand, and I believe it'll help you in your Christian life, or at least I hope it will. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you tonight, and Lord, we're thankful for these Old Testament accounts, Lord, that we can go back to. Lord, they're wells of water that we can go and draw from, 
And uh, Lord, we can look at the experience of others. We can look at your track record uh, dealing with humanity and your people and see that you are a God that can be trusted. You're the God that never fails. You're the God that never lies. And Lord, we're so thankful for the promise given to us, to the New Testament church and New Testament believers that uh, you will supply all of our need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Father, we're thankful for that. We lay hold on those promises tonight. And we, God, we ask you, Lord, through this story, through this account, Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you build our faith? God, give us grace to trust you more, we pray. And Father, we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, as we come here to verse number 8, and we come here to the next scene in Elijah's life as he is introduced to this widow woman that will be his sustenance and will be his means of sustenance during uh, this, uh, this drought, this three years. Jesus said it was three and a half years in the New Testament. And uh, this three and a half year drought that's taken place. As we come here, we find God is moving his preacher. He's moving him from the brook and he's moving him here to Zarephath. The brook is dried up. The ravens, the, their delivery service, it has ceased. It has stopped because God is through with him there and he is moving him somewhere else. And you notice that in all of these verses, verse number two, verse number eight, it is the word of the Lord that is calling the shots. It's the word of God that is controlling things. That's the way it ought to be for our lives. Isn't it? it ought to be the Word of God that guides us and directs us. We ought to be in submission to the Word of God. Wherever God's Word tells you to go, you go there and God will keep His promises to you in that place. And we find that God moves and directs. And he's, he, it's amazing. I see a word like command in verse number 9. Commanded a widow woman. And it reminds me of how in verse number 4 God commanded ravens. And we find God is really the one calling the shots, isn't he? He's commanding the ravens. He's commanding this widow woman. He is in control. And I don't know about you, but for me, God's sovereignty is my sanity. It really is. It's the pillow that I can lay my head down and I, to know that he is moving things I don't even know about. He's taking care of things I don't even... Listen, I got a list of things I'm worried about. How about you? I got a list of things I'm worried about, but God's already taking care of stuff I don't even know to worry about yet. Amen. That's the kind of amazing God we have. And He's commanding this and commanding that. Not in the sense that He's... not just in the sense that he is giving an order, but commanding in the sense that he is in control of the situation. He is in charge of the situation. And what a blessed truth that is. He is moving and directing, and we are to follow his will and follow his word. And God is always at work. He's always at work. Whether you can see him or not, there, you, can only see, you can only see a fraction of a percentage of the things God's doing, God is doing at any given time. That's all we can see. And it, just the, what we can see, I don't know about you, but just what I can see blows my mind to see what God is doing and all that God, all that God is doing. He's doing, I mean, 99.999% of the things God's doing. You don't even know about They're behind the scene. God is, God is doing some things. But we can definitely see a number of things that God is doing. We can identify a few things that God is doing. Some, we looked at these last week, but it still rolls over to the, our scene this week. God is doing a protecting work in Elijah's life. Obviously, uh, Elijah is enemy number one in Israel. Ahab, Jezebel, they're out to get 
get Elijah, right? And so what is God doing? God's hiding his man. He's sending him to Zarephath, Gentile territory. Get this now. God is hiding Elijah. God has moved Elijah out of Israel, and he's amongst the Zidonians. He is in Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. Now, if you go back to chapter 16, around verse number 31, you'll find out where Jezebel is from. Guess where she's from? This is where she's from. She's from Zidon. Her dad was king of the Zidonians, Beth, uh, Beth Baal, or what is it, Ethbaal, uh, king of the Zidonians. Here's, here's the thing. God has moved Elijah to Jezebel's hometown. Isn't that amazing? That's one place she'd never think to look, right? And God is, uh, God's putting him there. Why? He's protecting him from the wicked actions and the wicked motives uh, and the wicked desires of Ahab and Jezebel. God's keeping him safe in Gentile territory. God's protecting him. God is doing a providing work. Obviously, in fact, verse 9 plainly states to us that that is why Elijah is where he is at. I've commanded a widow woman there to what? Sustain thee. I am taking care of you. I am preserving you. Everybody else is without water. They're without food. The economy's failing. I mean, everything's failing. But I will take care of you. I am going to send you uh, to uh, a widow woman that will sustain you. So God is doing a providing work. God is doing a punishing work in this text as well. God is doing a punishing work. God, and we noted this last week, but it's a little more evident here, and I'll show you why, but God, in removing a true man of God from Israel, He represents God. He represents the Word of God. And so when God takes Elijah out of Israel, what He's saying to Ahab is, I don't have anything else to say to you. I've pronounced judgment on you, and that's it. I'm done talking to you. I don't have anything else to say. I don't have anything for you at all. My, mean, my man that I use for means of miracles and messages, there's none of those things for you. You have cut me off. You have ignored me. You have blasphemed me. You have, you have uh, 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 reviled me, and I don't have anything. You have rejected me. I don't have anything else to say to you. And it's even a further slap in the face in this text. It's not just God removing removing Elijah from Israel, removing his man from Israel, but it is God removing his man and putting him in a Gentile territory. Now, I don't have a miracle for you, but I have a miracle for an old Gentile. I'm going to take Elijah and I'm going to move him to Balesville. I'm going to move him to heathen town and I'm going to go bless them. I'm going to go bless a heathen down there instead of you. You say, I don't know about all that. Well, if you were to go to Luke chapter number 4 and read over there, Jesus mentioned this right here. He mentioned this exact widow woman. And when He's starting His earthly ministry, all the Jews, those Pharisees, Israel, they, they are critical of Jesus. They are skeptical of Jesus. They, don't want to have, they don't, really don't want to have anything to do with Him. They don't want to hear anything He has to say. And here's what He tells them. He says, verse number 24, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, which is the New Testament version of Zarephath, a city of Sidon, or Zidon, as we read in 1 Kings 17, unto a woman that was a widow. You know what he's saying right there? There were many widows that needed help in Israel, but because Israel had rejected God, he said, I'm done with you. I'm going over here to the Gentiles. 
Gentiles. And that three and a half years, that might be a little foreshadow of something right there. You know what God's going to do in three and a half years? He's going to judge Israel. It's going to be Jacob's trouble in the tribulation. Three and a half years. There might be a little connection there. What do you think? God is turning from those that have rejected Him and He is opening up the door uh, to those that will listen and those that will give heed to the God of heaven. And that was a slap in the face. How do you know that was a slap in the face of Israel in 1 Kings 17? Because when Jesus brought it up, these Pharisees just felt like they were slapped in the face. Because it said in verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They are ready to throw him off a cliff. You think they got the point? Do you think they realized what Jesus was saying? Yes, Jesus was saying, Okay, you're rejecting me. I'll go to somebody else that'll listen just like Elijah did. This is a punishing work. This is a sign of God's judgment on Israel. But it's also, as we've noted for our study, it's not just a protecting work and a providing work and a punishing work, but it is a preparing work. God is preparing His man. He moves him to Kareth there at the brook to prepare him. He's moving him to Zarephath to do more preparatory work on Elijah. It's proving work is what it is. God is proving Himself. God is proving Himself to Elijah that He is able to take care of him. Elijah must be thoroughly convinced of who God is and what God can do before God will ever set him up on Carmel. God's got to prove Himself to him at the brook and at the widow's barrel so that God could be trusted. And that's what God is doing. That name, Kareth, we looked at that last week. That means the cut on, right? Remember, we, we talked about God's operating table. God put Elijah on that operating table, cutting things out of his life that didn't need to be there. Well, that word Zarephath, that name Zarephath, it means melting is what it means. It means to melt down. God, Isn't that amazing? God's doing a cutting work on Elijah. And now God's doing a melting work on Elijah. And God is melting him here. God is keeping him humble. Why? And Elijah, you're the great man of God, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to a little widow woman, a little Gentile widow woman, a little pagan widow woman, a little Baal-worshiping widow woman, and she is the one that's going to take care of you. She's the one that's going to sustain you. And what a humbling work that was in his life. Now, this account is a testimony to the fact that uh, God's economy and God's realm in which He operates and ours and the way that we think, they are, uh, they're not alike in any way. In fact, in our realm, in our economy, in our, in our summation of things, in our thinking, in our mindset, here's the mindset we have when it comes to life. you got to grab all you can you got to hold all you can, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can, right? Don't let nobody get it. you got to take care of you. you got to watch out for number one and watch out for yours, you and your tribe and you and your family and just fully on everybody else and fully on God and, and just hold on and grasp everything just real, real tight. This story is a very clear indictment on that thinking and on that mindset. That it's not right, it's not godly, that's not the way that God operates. 
You see, this pagan Gentile woman, she's going to learn a lesson about Jehovah God, and that is this, is that God is an extremely generous God. I'm telling you something about God. God is a generous God. God is a giving God. It is in the very nature of God to give. He is a giving God. And when we hoard things and when we hold on to things and when we grab on to things real tight, what we're doing is we are limiting God in a sense, hindering God in a sense from what He wants to bless us with and how He wants to be generous. We can limit the generosity of God in our life. Did you know that? By having this attitude, having that mindset. Elijah found out, the widow woman found out God was a generous God. Elijah is learning and it's being proven to him. Not that he doesn't know it in his mind and know it even in his heart, but it still has to be proven in his life. There's still some things you just got to experience. You just got to go through before you may know. You may know. Listen, I, 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 I've been preaching since I was, uh, I don't know, 11 years old, something like that. So I've been preaching stuff that, that I read in the Bible and I know, but it actually takes living through some things before you know some things. Can I go with us right there? And there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. I believe it's true by faith. If it's in the Bible, I'll preach it. Amen. Even if it's not in the Bible, I'll preach it sometimes. But if it's in the Bible, I, I, I'll preach it. I know it. But there's some things you just got. God's got to take you to some places where He can prove that this is right, this is true. And that's what God's doing in His life. Some things you just don't know until you know. <laughs> Some things, you, you might believe it, and you might believe it with everything you got, but you don't know it until you've been through it. And God's proven to His man that this, I can be trusted. I will take care of you, Elijah. I am your provider. I am your strength. I am your sustenance. And I will take care of you. When the ravens stop and when the brook dries up and when there's nothing else anywhere else to be found, I know where you're at and I will still take care of you. And that's what God is, is proving to Elijah. But in order to fully appreciate uh, this, this thing about God, you've got to understand God's laws of supply and demand. You've got to know how this thing operates. And so I'm going to give you three principles, three what I'm calling laws of God's uh, supply and demand. Number one. Number one, I want to call it this, the law of priority. That is the law of priority. And here's what the law of priority, priority states. God demands before He supplies. God demands before He supplies. I want you to see that in our text and see that in our story. Now, the first thing this widow woman ever heard from God, and I'm using God in quotation marks because it's not an audible voice from God, but it is the man of God. He represents God. The first word from God that she ever gets sounds something like this. Fetch me. You see that in verse number 10? And then it sounds something like this in verse number 11. Bring me. And then it sounds something like this in verse number 13. Make me. <laughs> You see these demands that God is putting on this widow woman? Fetch me. Give me. Bring me. Make me. There, there's no word from God to this widow woman. Of, and think about just the fact that she is a widow woman. Think of all the things that, have gone, that are going on in her life at that moment. Can you imagine gathering sticks for your last meal for you and your child? Now, it would be bad if it was just for me, but for me and one of my children? I can't imagine that. 
That's not something any parent wants to, even Hagar in the Bible, and she couldn't stand the cry of Ishmael starving to death and, 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 and choking, and so he, he, she hid him away. No parent wants to see that. No, nobody wants to deal with it. I don't want to see my, my children suffer. That's one thing parents' hearts just, just can't take. Just overwhelming. That's where she's at. Now, the fact that she's a widow woman tells us that she's already had um, sorrow in her life. Isn't that right? She's probably a recent widow woman. And the reason I say that, and it's just speculation, but the reason I say that is because when Elijah comes to the gate of the city, he sees a widow woman. In fact, he calls it the widow woman. God said, I've commanded a widow woman. Elijah sees the widow woman. Behold, the widow woman. How would Elijah know that she's a widow? Just looking at a woman, how do you know that is a widow woman? Well, she's probably wearing the garments of widowhood, which were worn for a period of time after the death. So it's within that certain period of time, possibly. So a recent death of her husband, the economy has just went down. I mean, everything's dried up. She don't understand. All she knows is bell worship. All she knows, that's all she knows. She's just a pagan. She's just a, she's just a heathen in, in, the, in the biblical sense of the word. And she, that's all she knows. And all she knows is everything has gone to pot. Everything is, a, is dried up. Everything is bad. Bell is not say anything. He's not helping us. He's not doing anything for us. I'm going to gather these two sticks and then we're going to die. Listen, and, and I heard somebody say recently that when you're getting two sticks to build a fire, listen, you're not planning on cooking a lot of food. Isn't that right? Gee, and not some, not some big meal they're making. They, they plan to eat this and then that's it. Nobody else to help them. She's in a very, very bad spot. In fact, she told Elijah that she only had just a, 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 a she had a handful of, of uh, what did she say, a handful of meal in the barrel, verse 12, and, and a little oil in the cruise. That's all she has. She's going to use this to make a meal for her and her son, and then they're going to die. And she, she knows exactly what she has left. She's been watching it go down and go down, and she knows exactly what she has left. Listen, when you know what you have left, you're broke. If you know down to the penny what's in your bank account, that means you don't have much money. When you got $2.38, you know what I'm talking about? Can I, can I get a witness from anybody? Heather, you could say amen at least. Come on. When you know what you got to the penny, when you, got, when you ain't worried about money, you know, ah, you know I don't know, 10000 12000 I don't know, 20000 30000 whatever it is. Or like us, when we feel like we're rich, I don't know, $150, I don't know. But when you know down to the penny, I got a handful of money and I got a little old, when you know exactly what you got left, you broke, my friend. You ain't got much going on. And that's exactly where she's at. And when she's in this trouble, and when she's in this situation, and here comes the man of God, and he doesn't say, I know what you're going through. He doesn't say, God knows where you're at. He doesn't say, it's going to be all right. He doesn't say, here's words of comfort. Hey, listen, he doesn't say, God's going to take care. He doesn't say any of those things. The first thing he says to her is, fetch me. Just like a Baptist preacher, ain't it right there? Amen. Give me. Make me. Bring me. But it was not selfishness that was driving Elijah to do this. It was not conceitedness. It was not even hunger. It was not desire. It was literally the Word of God. Elijah was operating in this principle, the law of priority. And by the way, that, that's why Bible Christianity is not too popular with the world. Because this world gives a... Their first word to everybody is, 
God's got a big blessing for you. God's got something for you. He wants to pour health, wealth, and prosperity. And it's all about you. And you are the center of all of it. You know, God's got a refrigerator and your picture's on it. And He gets up and kneels down before it every morning or whatever. And it's all about you. And life revolves around you. That's not biblical Christianity. It's not all about you. It's all about Him. You say, that's horrible. Well, only if you don't love Him. Only if you don't know Him. Only if you don't know how wonderful He is. If you knew how wonderful He is, that wouldn't bother you one bit that everything's about Him. And when God comes, He comes with a demand. He demands. That's His first. He always comes with a demand first. There's always the demand. Fetch me, bring me, make me. It's about priority. In fact, the word first is used in verse number 13. He said, make me thereof a little cake first. God said, put me first. Before you do anything else, before you make anything else, put me first. God demands before He supplies. Yes, God supplies. Yes, God will supply your need. But He always demands first. He don't want second place. He don't want third place. He wants first place. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added unto you. Put me first. Put me in your finances. Put me first. In your life, put me first. In your calendar, put me first. In your schedule, with your talent, with your resources, with your life, put me first. See, we want God to dump the truckload of blessings on us and then we'll think about where we'll put Him in our life. That ain't the way God operates. God says, you put me first. And Elijah didn't approach this widow to make a deal. It wasn't, let's make a deal. He wasn't Monty Hall saying, hey, I'll tell you what, you do this and I'll do this. No, it's just, do this. Put me first. He came with a demand from God. In fact, Elijah was only revealing the command and the demand that God had already put on this widow woman's life. She just didn't know it. Because the Bible says in verse number 9, I have commanded. That means he'd already done it. He'd already commanded. He'd already put a purpose and already put a plan on that widow woman's life. She just didn't know about it yet. And here comes the man of God and say, here's God's plan for your life. It ain't riches. It ain't wealth. It ain't abundance. See, that's just junk people's peddling these days. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Well, I mean, it's wonderful in the sense that anything God plans is wonderful because of who made it. But it may not seem wonderful at first. It might sound like a really, really hard thing that you really don't want to do and you don't see how that'll work out. But that's the way God works. He puts a demand on you first. He just come to reveal that command. And can I tell you, listen, and the devil, he'll, he'll, man, he'll, I don't know what he'll do to you, but... Man, with me sometimes, especially being a preacher and, 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 and pastor, and I'm trying, to, I, I, I'm trying to encourage people to put God first and put God first, put God first. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes the devil makes me feel a little bit guilty about it. Just a little bit. Man, why, why, why are you, why are you expect people to be at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? You expect people to tithe and give them mission. You're asking, you want them to come to visitation. You want them to do that. You're always asking them something. You always demand them something. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not extreme to ask people to put God first in their life. It is absolutely consistent with everything that God has demanded and everything that He deserves. What other place does He deserve in your life? 
We ought not to ever feel bad or feel awkward about asking people to put God first. Why? Because that's what He demands. That's what He deserves. And in so doing, what I'm asking as, I'm a, as a preacher, and I'm, comp- and I'm pleading with you to put God first in your life, to put every one of your dreams, every one of your hopes, every one of your plans, every, everything up, put it on the back burner, and put God first in your life. What I'm actually doing is trying to set you up for supernatural blessings of God. That is the best life. That is the blessed life is when God is number one in your life. So really, wouldn't it be selfish for me not isn't it self- wouldn't it be more selfish? Isn't that what preachers who want people to like them, isn't that what they would do? Oh, don't worry about it. You do your life and just play footsie with God on the side and try to fit Him in where you can. Well, that's not the way God ordered this thing. You're going to have to figure out your priorities. See, Elijah didn't come with a supply for this widow woman. Elijah didn't come with a bunch of food to feed this widow woman. He came with a demand. But if you'll submit to the demand, and if you'll put God first, what you'll find is the supply comes next. The supply comes later. That's how God's economy operates. You obediently put God first, and then you will find He will give you every single thing that you need. Elijah learned that in Kareth, and Elijah is learning that here. You do what God says. You get to that place of obedience. You put God first. You submit to His will, and that's where the blessings come. See, our problem is is we have a low view of God. Our problem is our perspective of God. Our problem is our estimation of God. We believe that we we look at God, and it would be easy for this widow woman to do this, and just like it is with us. And we we look at God, and we think about, He's somebody that's trying to take from me. And God's a taker, and that's how we think about God. That's how a lot of people think about God. That's how a lot of people think about the church, think about God, think about Christianity. God's just, He's trying to take fun from me. He's trying to take happiness from me. He's trying to take satisfaction from me. He's trying to take, and the devil is a liar. And he'll tell you that if you put God first, you're going to starve. And if you put God first, you're going to be unhappy. And if you put God first, you're going to be miserable. But can I tell you something? He's a liar. The devil's a liar. Listen, nobody has ever put God first in their life and found that they were unsatisfied. God is good to all those. That let God call the shot. Hey, nobody, nobody can stand up and say, hey, I, I went out on a limb. I trusted God. I put my faith in His Word and what He said, and He let me down, and I'm a miserable human being. No, the best parts of our lives is when we have had God number one in our lives. So we need to change our estimation of God and realize God's not a taker. God's a giver. He's wanting to give you. He's wanting to bless you. He's wanting to help you. He's wanting to sustain you. And he's not a taker. He's not somebody. He's not. God, we think of God like he's the IRS or something like that. He's got to come in and just take what we've worked for and everything we want. And so we start clutching things and grabbing things. And God said, give me. Yeah, I, I want to give you something better. I want to, I want to help you. out. And we, we hold on to things. Young people, don't hold on to your life like that. Give God your life. God's not a taker. He's a giver. Anything he asks of you, I promise you, he will give you something that is far better in return. That's the way God operates. In reality, he's trying to give us something. And the, and the fact is this, honestly, what you're holding on to, it's not that great anyway. What is this, holding, what's this woman holding on? If she would have said no to Elijah, what's she holding on? Now she, what, she's going to die like, what, a day earlier than she would have anyway? What's she holding on? She ain't got nothing. We've already established she's broke. She's miserable. She's unhappy. She's unsatisfied. 
Life is awful. What has she got? I'm going to tell you something. What you got that God's asking of you, it's really not that awesome anyway. Why don't you trade the temporary in and let God give you something eternal? Why don't you trade the little in and let God give you something big? Why don't you trade the not so amazing and let God give you something that will absolutely blow your mind? Amen. Give God your temporary. That's how God dealt with the church at Philippi. Remember Paul wrote to Philippi and he said, it was a church that was giving. They gave, churches of Macedonia, they gave out of, the, out of their poverty and, 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 and they gave out of their want and out of their need, but yet they gave and they gave cheerfully. And what was the promise given to them? My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that's the way God, it's the priority. You put God first. And it says that about 2 Corinthians 8, talks about those churches. They gave themselves first to God. They made God a priority. And if you'll follow that law of priority, I promise you, you'll find it to be true. God demands before He supplies. See, if you want God to give you and then you'll give Him, that ain't the way it works. You give Him and then He'll give you. Let me give you a second law that I see here. I'm going to call it the law of power. Not only the law of priority, but the law of power. And the law of power states this, that God supplies what He demands. <laughs> and I like this real good. Because it's amazing. Look, look what... Okay, let's see. Verse 10. About the middle of that verse. And He called to her, Elijah did, and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And so, verse 11, And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. Let's stop right there just for a second. This thing starts out with this widow woman being asked to give what she could give. Now, I don't know where she was going to get water, but obviously there was somewhere that had water. Elijah said, in essence, he said, Bring me a cup of water, a vessel with some water. Now, she goes to get it. You know what that means? That means she... She knows where some's at. It may not be a lot. It may not be much. It may be even a sacrifice. This might be something very generous she's doing. I I don't know all the circumstances that she's in specifically when it comes to water. But she's going to do it. This is something she can do. But while she is going and doing what she can do, then Elijah, he ups the ante just a little bit, doesn't he? And now he starts to ask her to give him something that she does not have. Verse 11. I pray thee a morsel of bread in thine hand. Look at verse 12. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I don't have, I don't have any bread. I'll tell you what I do, God. I got a little bit of meal. I got a little bit of oil. I'm going to take that. I got enough for two biscuits. I'm going to eat one. My son's going to eat one. We're going to die. And it starts out with her being asked to do what she could do first. And then it progressed into her being asked to do what she could not do. And many times we we don't have a problem with. We never hesitate necessarily when God asks us to do something that we think we can do. Many times that's the realm that we operate in. We operate in the natural. God asks us to, okay, we'll we'll sign up, we'll we'll, we'll enlist, we'll we'll do. I I think I can do this. I'm pretty sure I can do this. I'm pretty sure I can take care of this. And that's the only thing. But God, I'm going to tell you something about God. He wants to move us beyond what we can do. And He wants to move us into something that only He can do through us. God gave this woman a promise that He would supply. Now, this is amazing. 
Because not only this woman, if, if this woman really knew everything that was asked of her, she would have passed out. If she knew that God, because think about, remember in verse number nine or verse number, uh, yeah, verse number nine, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. What if, what if God did come to this woman and say, Woman, I'm sending you a prophet and I want you to take care of him? She would have passed out. She can't do that. She can't even take care of herself, she can't even take care of her son. But yet God has put a demand on her for something that she cannot supply. She don't have any problem doing what she can do, but when it's something that she cannot do, that's when she hesitates. And that's when God gave her a promise that He would supply that which was demanded. If you will put me first, I will give you what I'm asking of you. And that is one of the greatest principles of the Word of God is the fact that we don't have anything, but God will never put a demand on your life that He will not give you the supply. And He said, I'm going to put a command on your life to sustain this prophet, and I will give you what you need to sustain this prophet. And it will sustain him, and it will sustain you, and it will sustain your son. And we have been given assurance by the God of heaven that He would supply our need. God demands a lot out of it. And that's where people get frustrated and people get scared. All the things God demands in our life. Think about it. It's that way in salvation. What's demanded in salvation? Perfect righteousness, right? And God demands it. You want to go to heaven? you got to be perfect. We can't do that. Some people try and they either get puffed up with pride or they get discouraged and deflated and they just give up because they can't do it. But what they don't realize is that God sent His Son Jesus to give us that which He has demanded of us. God said, I want you to live holy. I want you to live right. And we say, man, in this flesh, I can't do it. But he said, I got a spirit, and I'm going to put that spirit inside of you, and I will perform that which I demand out of you. God will never give you a demand that you can't supply because he gives you the supply for it. God said, I want you to be faithful. He said, God, I can't be faithful. I'm not faithful. And he says, I tell you what, I'll give you the strength. I'll give you what you need so you can be faithful. And it is a wonderful thing that God infuses us with power. And where did she get Where did she get all this meal to make everybody a cake? She didn't get it from her supply because she didn't have it. She got it from God. And so God provided for her that which He demanded of her. And that's an amazing thing. I love, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. Love that verse. I hang my life on that verse. He has called me to holiness. He's called me to the ministry. He's called me to all these things. He's called me to preach. And listen, he said, I am faithful to help you do it. I am faithful to do it through you. If you'll just get out of the way, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just do what I say, I will provide that for which, that which I have demanded out of you. What an amazing principle that is. God will never ask out of you something without supplying you with what you need to give it. I mean, you, listen, there ain't no other company. Listen, your, your water bill don't work that way. Your electric bill don't work that way. Your tax bill don't work that way. Your mortgage payment don't work that way. They just demand. What if your mortgage company said, hey, your, your, payment's, due. your payment's due today, but don't worry, we put the money in your bank. And we'll take it out. They put it in and then they take it out. That'd be great, wouldn't it? No, they just take and they take and they take. But God's not like, He puts a demand on your life, but then He will give you what you need to fulfill that demand.
And he's faithful to do it. Let me give you one last principle of God's supply and demand. Number one is the law of priority, and that is God uh, supplies, God demands before he supplies. And then God's law of power, he supplies what he demands. And then thirdly, I'm going to call it the law of provision, and that is this, is that God supplies more than he demands. God always supplies more than he demands. Think about this. For every cake she made for the preacher, she got how many? She got two. That's 200%. That's pretty good. That's pretty good return, ain't it? It's not bad on your investment. You get, listen, you get one, you make one biscuit, and you get two. <laughs> and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming. And it happened over and over and over and over again. The Bible says that they ate on it, verse number 15, for many days. It happened every single day for how many ever years until the famine was over, until the drought was over, until God sent rain on the earth. And God gave this woman much more than she ever asked than God ever asked of this woman. And that is how this thing works. It may feel like God is demanding a lot. And it may feel like God's demanding so much. And I can't believe He wants this and I can't believe He wants that. But can I tell you something? God will give you more than He ever takes from you. It's like you take your spoon and you give God a little bit and He takes His dump truck. Beep, beep. And He unloads it. You can't. Listen, you give Him your little spoonful and He gives you a dump truck full. And that's the way God works. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Proverbs 3, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presence shall burst out with new wine. I'm just simply saying this right here, that it pays to serve God. It doesn't cost to serve God. It pays to serve God. Ain't nobody giving up houses or lands or families. or anything That God is not going to restore time and time and time again over and over and over. It pays to serve God. It costs to serve the devil. He will rob you and he will destroy you and he will abuse you and he will take from you and he'll leave you like that man on the Jericho Road stripped and naked and half dead. That's exactly the way this world will do you and the devil do you. But God will take care of you. That's what he does. You give to him and he gives you back more than you could have ever given to him. You give me your little bit, and I'll take care of you for years. Isn't that amazing? And it's the law of provision. That's the way this thing works. It's the life of supernatural blessing. Now, it doesn't say this woman's barrel ever tipped over because it was so heavy. It doesn't say that the cruise just was bubbling over and pouring over with oil. No, it doesn't say that. It just said it never wasted and it never failed. Can I tell you something? To the world, it may look, to everybody else watching that woman, she didn't have much to begin with, and she never had much. And there was never a day when it looked like that woman had a lot. But can I tell you something? She had something that would kept coming and coming and coming and coming. It wasn't that she had a bunch, it's just that she had something that never ran out. Isn't that amazing? And this world looks at me and says, man, he ain't got a lot. Yeah, but I got something that never runs out. It just keeps coming, and everything I need, when I need strength, there it is. When I need help, there it is. When I need hope, there it is. When I need comfort, there it is. When I need grace, there it is. When I need mercy, there it is. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. And to everybody else looking around, man, he ain't got much. But to me, I keep thinking, how come I never run out? Isn't that amazing? How he just gives. And he gives and he gives more. And he gives more grace. 
God is a giver. And I know I'm not super old, and I know I had not been this thing a long time, but can I just testify as a young preacher, I had not ran out yet. I ain't got much, but I ain't ran out. Amen. God's been good. And I ain't nothing, and I've given them just my little bit, and I've given my little talent, and my little meal, and my little barrel trying to help his work along. He's helping me. I ain't really helping him. But I'm going to tell you something. I give it to him. And he just keeps giving and giving and giving and taking care of me. And I bless his name for it. And that's what God's provision looks like. Just don't run out. It's always there. And you can take these principles right here. And you can run them through about every miracle. Not every miracle maybe. But a lot of them you can. I was thinking about that feeding of the 5,000. There was a demand. Before the supply ever came, there was a demand. What was that demand? Jesus looked at the disciples and said, You see this crowd of thousands of people? Feed them. What? Lord, we, we don't have anything. All we have is, okay, give it to me. You give me that. He, he demanded before he supplied. And when they obeyed, guess what God did? God began to multiply it. God, God, God demanded before he supplied. And then he, after that, the second principle, he supplied that which he demanded. He gave them what they needed to feed that whole crowd. They didn't do it. Jesus did it. And then at the end, what did they have left over? Twelve baskets. How many loaves did they have left over? How many fish did they have left over? You don't know. See, when you got a bunch, you don't count it all. <laughs> when you only got a little bit, five loaves, two fishes, that's all we got. One, two, three, four, five, one, two. That's all we have. But when it's a bunch, it's just it's 12 baskets full. It's just a bunch. We don't know. It's just a lot. <laughs> and that's how God's provision works. Isn't that amazing? It's just, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. I know we just keep bringing it and it just keeps coming. Even I thought about even those miracles of people's limbs and their bodies and stuff like that. Jesus would, Jesus would look at a man who couldn't walk and he said, walk. Arise, take up thy bed and walk. I'm going to think of that man looking up at Jesus like, oh gee, I never thought of that before. Maybe I should have just tried that all along. But no, God demanded before he supplied but then what did God do? He supplied that which He demanded. I'm going to give you strength to be able to carry out what I told you to do. And then now look at the man. He's walking and he's leaping and he's jumping. and God gave him more. <laughs> what he could ever he gave God gave him more than what he gave God. <laughs> and it's that way in salvation. Be perfect. I can't be perfect. God said, all right, well, I'll give you perfection. You just trust me and I'll give it to you. And then all the blessings that come along with it. And it's that way in service. God said, Chris Simpson, I want you to pastor this church. I can't pastor this church. Do it. All right, here I am. And you know what? God's given me strength to do it. And God's taken my little nothing and, and He's blessed me 10 million times more than anything that I've ever sacrificed for Him. And that's just the way God operates and He does it over and over and over again. I like God's economy pretty good. Amen, don't you? I like it pretty good. I'm afraid sometimes we might get in that mode where we feel like God's a taker. He's trying to take things from us. And He wants to get things from us. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, if, you, if that's the way you look at God, you don't know the God of this Bible. 
He's not a taker. In fact, He don't need anything you have. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If He had a need, would He tell you? No. If He had a question, would He ask you? No. He don't need... I Listen, He don't need me giving. I need Him giving to me. I need Him. So if you're looking at God, and like we get that way, young people, they look, oh, God just wants to take my life and ruin it, and that just scares them. God taking away something from them. And then they get older and they have jobs and paycheck. And they, oh, God's just trying to take. He's trying to take from No, 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 no. Anytime God ever asks something from you, he's trying to bless you. He wants to give you a blessing. What he's got for you. Remember that little story? That's an old preacher illustration, Miss Maddie from the piano. I've, I've heard it many times about that, about that little girl that loved her little necklace. You know, I know you've heard this story probably. She had a little strand of pearls, little fake pearls. Just little beads is all they were. And the girl didn't know it, but her daddy went out and bought her some real pearls. But daddy wanted to teach that girl a lesson that she could trust daddy. So he would ask her, say, give me your beads. Oh, daddy, you can't have my beads. I love these beads. I wear them every day. My and the daddy said, give me your beads. And every day, and that girl, finally that girl crying after, after a week or so of that, She's crying. She said, all right, Daddy, if you want my beads, you can have them. And he took him beads and he threw them into the fire. Oh, she about lost it. She went ballistic. But then he reached down and pulled out one of those nice, expensive jewelry cases, opened up, and he had bought her a strand of genuine, authentic pearls and put it around her neck. I'm saying that's the way God is. And we, we, saying God, and we doubt the goodness of God. We, we doubt the character of God. He ain't trying to ruin your life. He's not out to do it. He's trying to give you something. That's better. And that's this woman. When Elijah come, I know it looked like, oh, he's take and give me and fetch me and all this. But what that widow woman would come to know is this, is that God wasn't trying to get anything out. God wasn't trying to take her last meal. God was trying to sustain her through the drought, through the famine, trying to bless her. And even better than physical food, by the, by the time this thing's done, she's like, I know now. I know there's a God in Israel. I, I know who the, I ain't a Baal worshiper anymore. I'm a Jehovah worshiper. And that's the greatest lesson of all. Well, let's stand together all.